It's 23 days until Ohio State takes the field to start the college football season. Ryan Day says we'll have a pretty good idea of who the starting quarterback is by next weekend. And Quinn Ewers officially announces his first NIL deal. This is the 11 Dubcast. I'm your co-host, Andy Vance, along with me. Not the stunning, scintillating, educated, learned Johnny Ray Ginter. No, Johnny is going to be taking a, a bit of uh, absence for the next few weeks. We'll have more on that in, in coming weeks. Uh, but I want to welcome in guest host extraordinaire, CEO of the company, the man who made manages the day-to-day operations of 11warriors.com, a fine website that you may want to go visit from time to time. Kevin, the CEO, Harris. Kevin, welcome to the program, and thanks for thanks for once again stepping into the breach. Welcome back to the Dubcast and uh, agreeing to step in for the next several weeks as uh, as my esteemed co-host uh, uh, takes uh, some, some time off to do some fun family things. So welcome to the program, and, and, and I want to start with just uh, taking, taking your pulse and temperature Less than, uh, you know, less than four weeks away now, ba- barely three weeks until we get back out on the field to see Ohio State football. Does it feel like it's time for football yet? Are, are you ready for this or are you still in the throes of summer? Honestly, I, I was just thinking about this the other day. Like it, it does not feel like football season. Like it, it just, and maybe it's because last season was so weird and like we didn't even know when the season was going to start and stuff like that. And like, it, it just feels odd, but I, I'm sure it'll in a couple of weeks feel, I don't know, a, a little more like uh, like fall. But currently, um, yeah, I, I I don't I don't really feel it yet. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure when the ball gets teed up, I'll I'll be good and ready. But um, it, even even like camp check-in day didn't feel like it had the same juice. But I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Do, do you feel that, or is it is it just like a? <laughs> that, that was part is, of the reason I asked the question because when I, you know, I've been every week uh, as we start the program taking a look at you know how many days until that first kickoff, and when I saw 24, 23 days, I'm like, gosh, is it really that close? And and, and part of what's been throwing me off. So the the little tyke starts back to school next week, and so I've been seeing friends on the various social media networks with their kids going back to school pictures, and I'm like, it can't it can't actually be back to school time yet. I think we've only been to the pool like three times. Like, you know, is, is, is summer really almost over, but lo and behold, we've had the first preseason NFL game uh, of the season with the hall of fame game. We'll talk about that more later as it relates to one former Ohio state quarterback, but let's get right into top of the page this week. Coach Ryan day in his comments to the press said that uh, the team will have a pretty good feel of the starting quarterback by next weekend. You know, Kevin, I, I think a lot of us thought coming out of spring ball that this was going to be a pretty, I mean, an interesting discussion, but but it felt like C.J. Stroud had a, a pretty good lead coming out of the clubhouse for the starting quarterback position. And then, <laughs> and then the month of August has been, you know, just wild times with the Quinn Ewers news. How, how shaken up is the quarterback situation at this stage? What are you What are you expecting to have happen when Coach Day shares his next bit of wisdom and insight on who will be the starting quarterback of the local football team? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty. I'd be shocked if he didn't know who the starter was at this point. Uh, I mean, like he, he's probably going to say like, "Oh, I'll know by the weekend," but I'm sure he knows now. And I think everybody would be shocked if it wasn't CJ Stroud at this point. Like I, I sure would. I, I would have been shocked at, I mean, any point after the season ended or after spring ball, if it was anybody but Stroud. Um, I, I mean, Ewers makes things a little interesting, but like 
when Ryan Day is saying that he's going to know the starting quarterback by this weekend and Quinn Ewers hasn't enrolled at Ohio State yet, I, that kind of ends any any pipe dream that he's going to be the starter somehow by uh, day one. But um, and, and do you think that's what prompted – you know, him to be that kind of, because it's you know, on one hand you say, Oh, that's coach speak. Yeah. We'll have a pretty good idea. Right. right. He didn't say, Hey, we're going to right. announce the starting quarterback on the, but, but I think with all of the discussion or commentary that's been out there about Quinn coming to Ohio state, do, do you feel like he had to kind of walk out this trial balloon to, to tamp down the speculation that, Oh, you were going to come in and take the job. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he, he, uh, at the same time, like he, he is doing that, but like, also it's not like he's like writing off any of the quarterbacks either. Like, it's definitely not a, a situation where he's like, well, whoever I name the starter on September 2nd is going to be the starter through the entire season. And we're sticking with like, he definitely has not said that. Like he's literally said like, well, I think we're probably going to need all the quarterbacks in this room. Like, he, he, I, I don't know. Like I get the impression that there's going to be a starter, but like, we're going to see a lot of everybody. So um, I think that like, maybe he's, he might be trying to put some speculation aside with like naming one of these three guys, the starter, so that people aren't like, Oh, I bet it's going to be Ewers. Like he's going to, he's going to go and steal some jobs. Like until, I don't know, like I, I, I wouldn't write that off. Like if, um, if he plays in a few games and is like a stud or something like that, but like, I, he might be doing that for day one, but I, I don't know. I, I get the impression that he's content to play four, three, four different quarterbacks throughout the season this year. If, if he has to, I, I don't know if we'll see like different starters each week, but I really do think that each one's going to get significant playing time. Um, and hopefully uh, you, they settle on one starter by the end of the season. You know, <laughs> hearing you talk about that, I don't know if other listeners got hives, you know, as you talked about this idea of, of multiple starters or guys getting, you know, lots of different uh, touches. But 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 I, I think I'm I'm thinking back to QB Geddon here a few years ago. And is it going to be Barrett? Is it going to be Jones? Is it good? You know, and the I think we can all look back and say, what a muck up that turn oh yeah right and and, and that's that was a disaster the, and it's not the first time that ohio state you know in my maybe not in your lifetime but in my lifetime uh frittered around with two quarterbacks right we could go back and look at stanley jackson and joe germain and how that situation was handled uh and and you hear good debates about that even to this day among fans of oh who should have been the guy uh so hearing you talk about you know you have all this talent in the room is this going to be ryan day's most difficult quarterback job you know he's this quarterback whisperer he's known for what he does with players of this position is is it easier because he's got this wealth of riches um, of talent or or is this his hardest job because he's got to deal with all of this talent that he's recruited to the room so I, I think it's like both a little bit but I don't really think that he's really thinking about that I think urban was definitely a sort of guy that liked to like manage egos and stuff like that but I don't really think Ryan Day has ever really shown that that's a thing that he wants to do. I think that he's like made it pretty clear, like with how he handled the Justin Fields situation that like, he's going to get the, um, he's going to get the best quarterback that he can get 
and he's going to play the best quarterback that he can get, even if it means chasing away literally every other quarterback on the roster. Like, you know, like he took one, he imploded the quarterback's room to get Justin Fields as the starter. Like we were an injury away from, of Justin Fields, uh, you know, getting carted off the field and Chris Chuganov leading Ohio state to it. And like, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not like disparaging Chris Chuganov, but no, like, no, no, but that's that, not- that dude, he did, he did not come to like, I can say with authority, he did not come to Ohio state to be anything more than the fourth string quarterback. Like he, he was not like ready to play. And then like, that's what Ryan day did. He was, he was so confident in that one starter that he literally chased away every other quarterback, like Tate Martell left Matthew Baldwin left, like, Hey, it was Justin Fields. And so like, if it comes down to it, he's going to play the best guy who he thinks is going to give them the chance to win. So like, I don't think it's going to be the sort of thing where like he's playing guys just for the sake of playing guys and keeping them involved. Like he doesn't care. Like if, if he finds the best guy, I think if he plays multiple guys, it's to find the guy that is the best. You know, I, I don't think it's to just like keep guys on the roster or anything like that. He doesn't care. He's going to find the guy who's the best and he's going to play him. And if the other guys transfer, they transfer and there's going to be no ill will. And they're probably going to be very good at wherever they go. But like, if, if he plays Stroud this year and he loses Jack Miller and Kyle McCord, you know, that's what's going to happen. And if, if Quinn Ewers supplants Stroud next year, he's going to play Quinn Ewers and Stroud's going to have to transfer. Like that's, that's, I think that's the way that he's going to operate because that's the way that he's operated in the past. You know, it feels like that we're in an era and this isn't just unique to Ohio state, but it feels like we're in an era where uh, much like fans of the national football league, fans of college football have to get a lot more comfortable with the idea that the roster is a lot more fluid than than it used to be uh certainly you know transfers have been happening for a while now and ohio state's been i would say the beneficiary of uh, being able to bring in players more so than the other way around but my impression is and and i want to get your take on this is that this is something that will happen with in increasing regularity rather than uh going back to the way it was three four five years ago Oh yeah. And like, I think a lot of people have been, have been kind of concerned about like the one, the one transfer thing, like the the one-time transfer exception. I think that's going to absolutely help Ohio state. It's not going to hurt Ohio state that they're, especially at the quarterback position, because like, if you're telling a five-star kid that he can come in and compete at Ohio state and the absolute worst case scenario is that he spends a couple of years at Ohio state and says, okay, now I'm going to go somewhere else because I got beat out for the job. Like, that you know like that's the worst case scenario the worst case scenario is you turn into joe burrow you know like uh i mean obviously i'm not saying that they're gonna win the heisman wherever they go that's that's pretty good worst case scenario there right 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 i'm I'm, I'm not saying that because there's a tate martello is an option too but like the point is that hey you know you know i gotta gotta say about the tater though you know you get you get to play college football for what's he up to like 15 years now that he's been in the the system i mean there's right there's there's worse there's worse hells i can think of than being a college for sure for the better part of your adult life sure (laughs) yeah i mean he's definitely milked that for all it's worth but I, i i just think i just think that like in general ohio state's quarterback recruiting is going to be just fine forever because like there's no reason why a five-star kid wouldn't come to Ohio state. Like none at all. There's no, there's no problem right now that there's four for really anybody that there's four five-star, well, three, five-star quarterbacks in the room at the same time that are technically have the same eligibility. Like like, that's not really an issue because like the other three are still going to have a chance to go play 
high level college football wherever they want. And one of them is going to win the job. And so like, what did the other three really sacrifice? You know? So I, I don't know. I, I think that we're going to see that. And I think that like Ohio state isn't really going to have a problem continually bringing in talented players every year. Uh, I, I, you know, and may, maybe there'll be sometimes where there's like a defined starter. Like if Quinn years is finds a way to start this season and he's going to start for three years, like you might not get a sweet quarterback next class, but like for the most part, I don't think Ohio state's ever going to have problems keeping their quarterback room stacked. I could be wrong, but I, I just see in the foreseeable future that Ohio state's quarterback's room is just always stacked. And you were the latest member of, of that room, as, although, as you noted, not uh, officially uh, in, enrolled and in, in doing the deal yet. But news this week that uh, uh, Yahoo Sports Pete Thamel had broken uh, previously that yours um, would be making the first NIL deal of his career with Holy Kombucha. Uh, so, and, and I don't want to talk about Holy Kombucha specifically, but but having a quarterback who's not even yet on campus uh, officially uh, out there making it rain, it kind of just, I think, is a window into what the new reality is like. Meanwhile, same time, uh, had Jack Sawyer shouting out Mark Wahlberg Chevrolet, local Chevy dealer uh, owned by Marky Mark, formerly of the Funky Bunch. Uh, and, and I kind of got a kick out of this, you know, saw you're standing next to the world's largest pickup truck and, you know, another great NIL deal. What, what, what are your favorite NIL deals that you have seen come from this team so far? I mean, a pickup truck's pretty sweet. I think pickup truck beats holy kombucha, although we, we have to acknowledge, we don't know what the dollars are here. So maybe the kombucha deal is really lucrative, sure, yeah. but what, what's your favorite NIL deals that you've seen roll off the, the social media presses so far this off season? So my favorite is Luke Whipler's by far that he just like monetized a tweet. <laughs> he literally sold a tweet. He sold a, a sweatshirt featuring for $50 featuring a tweet that says he can't sell a sweatshirt for $50. So I don't think that can be beat. And just like how quick to quick the turnaround was there. Like I, I tipped the cap there, but I, I, that one is by far my favorite. I mean, that's um, super meta, right? I mean, like that's- Oh Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Like it, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, that's yeah, that, that makes sense. He, he made a good, he made a good bit of cash there. I don't, I don't remember exactly how much it was, but it was, it was thousands of dollars, like thousands of dollars that he just didn't have before. So, and I mean, like the tweet suggested too, like, it's not like he's no, no disrespect to Luke Whipler, but it's not like he's like Justin Fields or like a, a star quarterback or anything like that. So, I mean, he did great, like sweet uh, entrepreneurial skills and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I feel like there's two ways to go here, and and you've just gave the given the example. So, Ewers and Sawyer, obviously, they're they're trading on their immense athletic talents and abilities, right? Yeah. And and yeah. and and likability and marketability. You know, they're interesting characters, big social followings. What you know, whatever whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, those are all marketable things uh although i find it interesting you look at sawyer as an example um you and i have comparable twitter followings to to jack sawyer although he is you know right uh, big time college athlete and my twitter following is nothing to write home about but but it's comparable nobody's nobody's beating down my door to have me drive around a sponsored pickup truck uh but but not yet you're you're not yet not yet but your whipler example i think is is the other prong of this is is nil i think will also reward tremendous creativity you know so so oh, those, yeah. those those characters not you know not just in football but any of the the sports who can be tremendously creative i i think just like any entrepreneurial endeavor right 
right. you know, be biggest, be first or, or be most creative and well, yeah, I, I, money to be made out there. I think about like, um, like Drew Chrisman. I, I thought about this when he was even enrolled, like how many shirts do you think Drew Chrisman should have, or would have been able to sell that's just a black shirt that says, I love my Mormon punter across the front. You, yeah. Like, righteous. I, I guarantee, I guarantee he would have made a lot of money on that just because like he, that that's his check-in brand and people would have thought it's funny and it's quirky. And I, you know, I, I think that there definitely is a, a market for any sort of personality to make any sort of money, you know, I, whether it's a walk-on or anything like that, like Joey Lane, when he was with the team, he would have made good money with like a towel gang shirt or something like that. Like yeah. there, there's definitely, you know, if, if you are an interesting person, if you're a long staffer, like Liam McCullough could have made some good money. Uh, Mark, um, Mark, Titus. You know, it, Mark, Mark Titus. Mark Titus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mark Titus would have, would have made, a, you know, a, a solid bit of money. Um, so I, I think that like, it's no, th- those guys obviously aren't going to be signing like the seven figure deals. They might have to work a little harder and hustle a little more, but like, I think that's the cool part is like, there's really no reason why those guys shouldn't have been able to do that in the first place, because like, you're talking about just like creativity and they're not, I don't know. I, I, I think that is who I'm most excited to see take advantage of, of the, the NIL stuff, the, mm. the kind of the creative guys that, um, probably like realistically probably aren't going to have the chance to make money in, in the sport. Otherwise, you know, I, that's not to say Drew Chrisman, you know, Liam McCullough, um, that they're getting their shot in the NFL and stuff like that. And they, they could end up with like solid paydays and stuff like no. that. But like, um, but you know, like those, the, the creativity that, that otherwise they really wouldn't be able to take advantage of that. This is the, the when they're going to be most popular in their life is when they're an Ohio state football player. And yeah. I, I, I just think that that's kind of sad that those guys haven't been able to take advantage of that, you know, in, in this, in, until now. We started this conversation by focusing on uh, Ohio state's quarterback of the future and, and Quinn Ewers. I want to talk about Ohio state's offensive line of the present. One of the things that uh, Ryan day talked about in his press avail earlier this week was on nailing down the starting offensive line. And what he described as trying to find the best five on the field and getting them all on the field at once. Uh, he talked about having players like Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones, uh, playing both guard and tackle. Um, looking at some of the the uh, Ohio State social media pictures, it looks like um, Nicholas Petit Frere might be lining up left tackle. Uh, what are, what are your thoughts on how this offensive line might shake out? There's a lot of big eaters here with a with a lot of talent. Are you are you feeling confident about their ability to protect a first year starting quarterback, or or is how these uh, chess pieces fall into place, giving you uh, heartburn as we wait out these last few weeks till uh, toe hits the ball. It weirdly, you, like I, I both have no idea what the offensive line is going to look like, but like I'm totally confident in it. If that makes sense, because yeah. like individually, I love like all of the players on the offensive line. You know, like uh, it, it's like I don't think there's ever been an offensive line. Maybe that year when there was like. Malcolm Pridgen and Brandon Bowen. I don't remember what year that was, maybe 2018, 2019. Um, this is like the first year that I've like felt like there were too many, like really good offensive linemen, you know, like there are like too many guys that I would love to see in the starting lineup. Like, obviously you've got Thayer Munford, Nicholas Petit-Frere, like they're going to be there, but like Matthew Jones played really well. And like, 
based on how some other guys are playing, like he might not start. You've got like Daywan Jones, who, you know, is, um, I, I mean, obviously massive and fun, and uh, I'd love to see him on the field. Um, you got Harry Miller, who's, I mean, he's going to be a returning starter probably, but uh, behind him, you've got Paris Johnson, who's like a, a five-star guy. Uh, Enoch Vamahi is really fun. I believe he played significantly in against Michigan State. So I, there's just a lot of guys that I think are really fun um, that like have a future at Ohio State. And like, I, I would love to see play. Um, it just doesn't seem like there's <laughs> enough spots for them. So I don't know. I, I, I am very confident um, in all of these guys individually. And so I think like, regardless of where they play, however the line looks like, I think there's just a ton of flexibility and that um, I'm, I'm very confident in it. I think the, the only thing that gives me a slight hesitation is like when you're moving guys around like that, the offensive line is such like a chemistry gr- chemistry driven thing yeah. that like if you're moving with those guys all around and like fall camp or can they really develop like that rhythm that chemistry that communication um so i that's definitely something to consider but also like i i've never touched the offensive line i am five nine like 130 pounds like i i'm not going to begin to tell you like about what the mentality of an offensive lineman is or the technique, you know, like I, I, if there's anything that I'm completely unqualified to talk about, it's offensive lineman besides like, ah, that guy's huge. Go get it. You know, they are, they are huge. Uh, Coach Day specifically shouted out his, how impressed he was with Thayer Munford's leadership. Uh, also talked about Dewan Jones and how much he's grown in the past three years. I kind of got a kick out of this when Ryan Day said uh, at first uh, Jones was a basketball player trying to figure out how to play football and called him the largest skill player of all time, uh, but, but sound like good reports from uh jones who's one of those guys again is kind of just a super likable character that uh, i think fans enjoy rooting for Uh, another player i want to talk about bruce feldman writing at the athletic this week had an interesting column he puts out his annual college football freaks list and feldman's been doing this almost 20 years now where and the premise here is players who generate buzz inside their programs by displaying what he calls rare physical abilities that wow even those who observe gifted athletes every day. Uh, and and of course the column is full of just um, I, I guess what I would 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 call uh, well I can't call it what I was going to call it um, but just these feats of athletic. Uh, prowess that again you and I will never touch because those talents waved bye bye to us long ago. The player that jumped off the page at number 19 in his countdown was Master Teague, running back at Ohio State. And here, here's what Feldman had to say about Master Teague called the biggest height, weight, speed freak on a very gifted team. 5'11, 225 pound Teague has produced some impressive numbers in the Buckeye program. Included a vertical jump of 40 inches, a broad jump of 11 feet, clocked a 4.3540. My question for you is: Is Master Teague the next great running back at Ohio State? And and you know, looking at the running back play from Ohio State, you know, overall has been exceptional. I mean, for the the breadth and depth of the program. But in recent years, uh, the Buckeyes have had no shortage of really great running backs. Is is Teague, the guy, is he underappreciated by fans and members of the press? Um, what say you, Mr. Harris? I mean, look, I I am not the most sold on Master Teague long term. I, I think that um, 
Master Teague is, he is who he is. And I think that he would have been an exceptional running back for Ohio state in like 2005. Like, I, I think that he is a very good, I don't even, I, I don't even know if he's a one cut back. He's a Dave back, like a power back that you just give him the ball and tell him to go. Um, if you get him running straight in space, like he's going to run over people, he's impossible to bring down. He's a bowling ball. Um, I'm just not really sure that that is what translates to Ohio state's offense as it is. I, I think that there are other guys on the roster that translate way better, can catch the ball better out of the backfield, can frankly change direction. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I love Master Teague. I think that he's an awesome person. Um, he's an incredible leader. Uh, I'd love to see him do really well, but like, I just, if I'm picking a running back to play in the offense, I'm not sure that I'm picking Master Teague. And I mean, I say that as somebody who he could snap in half with like, like a toothpick because the dude's like his biceps are the size of me. Um, but like, I don't know. He's, he's just, he's, he's very physically impressive, but like, I'm not really all the way sure that like his physical gifts necessarily translate to the offense in, in the way that you would like. Um, this is a pretty young running back core, relatively speaking, as I, as I look down through the roster, you know, for the most part, you're looking at freshmen, redshirt freshmen, uh, you know, a couple of redshirt sophomores. Uh, Teague is by far the most seasoned, member of the room and and as i was looking through you know steel chambers uh not a running back anymore at, at, at ohio state apparently so so who are you handing the ball off to if you were suddenly offensive coordinator at ohio state this season i think to start it'd be um mayan williams i i was really like shockingly impressed with him because like that dude I, I don't know if anybody has followed like his recruitment and like how he ended up at Ohio state, but like that dude, when Ohio state started recruiting him was like, I, I mean, he was just like overweight. He, he, they literally called him fat man. Like he, he was just like really round, did not like have the physique of a D one athlete at all. And then like, is like right before he got to Ohio state. And like when he got to Ohio state, like just an absurd body transformation. He's now like quick, he can cut, but he's still got that size and stuff. I, I think that he is, um, he's really like proven himself last year, really weirdly in the few carries that he had, like he, he is very, very impressive for, I, I don't even remember what he was ranked, but like he was one of, he's one of the lowest ranked running backs that Ohio state signed in like my lifetime. Um, not my lifetime. That's probably a little overkill, but like in recent memory, um, and so like the way that he was able to come out and he, he was even effective against like Clemson. Um, so I, I, I think that I would roll with him at first, but like you have to look at a guy like Travion Henderson too. Um, he, you, he's the highest rated running back in school history and you don't like just disregard that. Um, and maybe he's second Beanie Wells might've been higher. I don't want to be misquoted there. Sorry. I don't want to, don't want to be, don't want to be wrong on the internet. God forbid. Um, <laughs> But point is, he's very good. He's he's a five star guy, and you don't bring in um, somebody with that much talent to sit on the bench. So I I think I'd roll with uh, Mayan Williams first. But um, I, I think we're going to see Trevion Henderson and Ryan Day had a lot of glowing things to say about him too. Um, in just a, a few weeks of uh, a few months of uh, 
work with the program. So um, I think I, I'd roll with those two at first and see what uh, Trevion Henderson can do too. Yeah, Henderson is the one I find very interesting because there's a part of me that says, you know, what you and I were talking about earlier in terms of roster management and and that Ryan Day is not afraid to uh, blow things up if he needs me to get the best guy on the field. Yeah, there's part of me that says that NIL and more uh, liberal transfer policies and so on make it so you have to live the John Cooper philosophy. And the Cooper philosophy, of course, was, you know, if a dog's going to bite, he'll bite when he's a pup, right? So you've got a true freshman who is that unbelievably talented what's to stop you from giving him a shot, you know, and there are certain positions obviously where having a year in the room uh, makes a difference. I, I don't know if I think the running back position is one where you need to have a year in the room. If you're that talented, especially with that sort of offensive line too, like with as good as I think Ohio state's offensive line is going to be like, I, yeah, I, I think that he can just come right in and play. Yeah. He's not running right behind the Bengals that. offensive line. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not like, yeah, it's not like you're throwing him to the, to the, into the, uh, the storm here. Like he's going to have plenty of holes. He's going to, and it, I don't know. I, I feel like it, it could be one of those things where he's, um, by, by mid season, he's kind of hit his stride and he could, I, I would not be shocked if he was Ohio state's primary running back by, by the mid season end of the season or whatever. So no, I, I think in more than that, like it hasn't really happened at Ohio state recently, but like you look across the country and that does happen. Like there's a freshman running back, they put him in and um, all of a sudden, like he's the the guy by the end of the season that happened with two guys that Ohio state recruited pretty, pretty heavily. Kendall Milton at, um, at Georgia and Bijan Robinson at uh, Texas, Ohio state wanted both of those guys. And well, they were both starting as true freshmen and um, you know, elite teams at the end of the season. So um, I, I think Ohio state finally has one of those running backs that, can be the bell cow guy for really three years in, in college. And uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. A person that I'm excited to see what they will do is former Ohio state cornerback Dwayne Haskins. So football fans of the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, were able to see a possible successor to big Ben Roethlisberger play versus the Cowboys, the hapless Dallas Cowboys in the hall of fame game in Canton over the weekend Haskins uh, split carries with, uh, with, with other would be heirs to big Ben's throne. Uh, you asked the site poll earlier this week of whether or not Dwayne Haskins would ever start another NFL game in his career. And all, all 78% of 11 warriors readers said, yes, indeed he would. What, what are your thoughts on, on this, uh, on, on this storyline as it develops is Haskins Haskins found the right place. Is he in the right system where he can live up to his first round billing? Is he the quarterback of the future for the steel city? You know, I, I, I can't say if the quarterback of the future, for the steel, you know, he, he did not help himself out with all the off field stuff. But more than that, I don't think he was really drafted into a situation that was, you know, conducive to him doing well in the NFL. I, I, I think it was pretty clear and it became pretty clear that um, the coaching staff there really didn't want him. Uh, they didn't want him to be their quarterback. And uh, I, I think that it's, it's hard to perform when you know that your coach didn't choose you and is not doesn't really have your back. Um, and so that doesn't excuse all of the other off field stuff. Like that's, 
a, you know, there's a lot of maturity issues going on there too. But I think like, as long as the team is willing to give him a shot, willing to work with him. Um, and I, I think that he could succeed with the Steelers, especially because he, the expectation is so low that like he can just kind of do his thing. You know, mm-hmm. I, when, when Washington selected him in the, the first round, um, he really just, he had to perform. There was that pressure to be that first round quarterback, be that franchise quarterback. And that really doesn't exist in Pittsburgh right now. Like, it's just like a, he can just kind of hang out and do his thing and uh, make his throws. And, you know, he's, he's getting a lot of attention because he's showing off his arm and he's showing off. He looks like the kid that rewrote all of Ohio state's passing record books. So he has tremendous um, arm talent. There's no question. Right. That, and, and when you're looking at the kind of, quarterback that Ben Roethlisberger I'll say used to be because we don't know what he's going to look like this season he's uh, had no shortage of injuries in his career uh, and, and seems to have always come back from them but but when you look at the like the physical tools I, I mean I've I've been one that has said for a while that Haskins is a lot like the kind of quarterback Roethlisberger is. And I'm not comparing them, you know, one-to-one, but that type of, you know, big arm, not afraid to take a hit, you know, can lay a hit if he needs to, you know, big imposing physical quarterback who can throw the ball a mile with a heck of a lot of heat on it. Like that's, that's the kind of quarterback Haskins is. He fits. I mean, to me, it just, and maybe it's because I'm, I'm hopeful for, for both the team and the player that it works out. Uh, but, but to add to what you were saying earlier about the, you know, the, the, the lack of pressure that he can kind of just do his thing here, likewise for the Steelers. I mean, this is an incredibly inexpensive gamble for them, right? He's playing for the league minimum of $850,000 this season. Right. So they have almost nothing to lose by giving him a shot. I mean, that's the, that's the way I read this anyway, as opposed to a Mason Rudolph who, you know, got a $2 million signing bonus and a $3 million salary for, 2022 uh as part of his contract extension so you know which that's granted not a crap ton of money or anything like that but uh haskins is is working for couch cushion money comparatively right yeah i i think that's the thing is like there's there's for both parties it's just kind of like a nothing to lose like prove yourself sort of thing so i i think that he he has a chance to reinvent himself to kind of just be learn um soak it up sort of thing i think that there's kind of like now the realization from everybody involved that he really wasn't ready to leave um he probably could have benefited from another year at at ohio state um you know i i think ohio state was just fine (laughs) they they went straight on to justin fields afterwards but it worked out okay um, for them yeah it worked out just fine but i i think that it was it's pretty clear that um, that he, he needed another year and it, you know, that's not always how it works out. And I, I, I just think that he is now in a, um, in a position where, uh, he can really thrive and he can really learn and, you know, do the sort of developing that he needed to do from the start. I was amused that you mentioned earlier <laughs> Malcolm Pridgen, uh, because Malcolm Pridgen is the latest Buckeye to join the roster of the Pittsburgh Steelers. They announced Monday that they'd signed the former 
Ohio State offensive lineman who now joins Dwayne Haskins and tied in Marcus Ball, along with uh, the future Hall of Famer, Cam Hayward, as Ohio State players on the Steelers roster. I, I always chuckle about this because when I started dating the stunning Mrs. Vance now uh, a decade ago, there were literally zero former Buckeyes on either the Cleveland Browns or Cincinnati Bengals roster. And there were something like five on the Steelers roster. And, and of course they were led defensively by the venerable Dick LeBeau who's uh, one of my favorite Ohio state alumni of all time, I think doesn't get enough recognition by Ohio state fans for what a great uh, Buckeye legend uh, Dick LeBeau is. Um, but the, the discussion at that time was that it was easy for me to root for the Steelers because you know, they were practically all Buckeyes. It's kind of like what New Orleans has become now, right? Where we joke about it being the New Orleans Buckeyes. That's what right. the Steelers were. And so now they're kind of getting back up into that uh, that that air again with adding Pritchard, Pritchard um, Pridgen, rather, to the roster. Um, it, it, do, do you enjoy following an NFL team more because they have uh, a plethora of Buckeyes on the roster or or does that not affect your NFL fandom at all? I don't know. It doesn't affect my fandom. I mean, I, I've, I've always been a Bengals fan, regrettably, um, begrudgingly. Good luck, good luck with that. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, condolences in advance for Joe Burrow's right. career. That's uh, right. Uh, I, 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 man, I feel bad for that guy. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it, I felt bad for him on draft day, but I was very happy for myself yeah, sure. selfishly, but um, no, I, 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 so it doesn't really affect my fandom, but it absolutely affects like my, watching experience when I'm just sitting on the couch watching football on Sunday, you know, I'll, I'll turn on like when there's a Buckeye in, in the red zone or something like that, I'll, I'll absolutely pay attention. Okay. It is time, my friends for ask us anything. One of my favorite segments of the program this is a reminder that the 11 dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11 warriors. Go to drygoods.11warriors.com. hats, stickers, t-shirts, the finest in barware. You want it. We got it. Except no substitutes. Come to the original dry goods store at 11warriors.com drygoods.11warriors.com. Ask us anything. Of course, you can always email us at dubcast at 11warriors.com under the subject line, ask us anything, dubcast at 11warriors.com or hit us up on Twitter, twitter.com slash 11dubcast. All right, Kevin, a couple of questions. So this this one comes from Matt who asks, uh, you know, about 18 months ago, I took your recommendation to show our kids Bluey, sight unseen, and we loved it. Uh, Kevin, you weren't here, but Johnny and I had an extensive conversation about the Disney, the Australian uh, cartoon program now airing on Disney Plus called Bluey. And, And we got Matt hooked. He said through season two, he can honestly say it's one of the smartest funniest and inspiring shows in current production. Uh, and he asks, and I'll have to take this one unless you are also watching Bluey in your spare time. If you're still a stand for Bluey, what is the secret sauce that makes it so good? Okay. So uh, first of all, Kevin, do you have any clue what we're talking about? Uh, not a clue. This is all you. Yeah. Okay. All right. I got you brother. Because, uh, and I, and I thought since you don't have a house full of, uh, you know, little ones running well, around, that, that's wild. I, I do have I do have a bunch of nieces and nephews, so I usually am hip with the uh, the the toddler culture. All but right. well, you, uh, you've definitely, definitely get not in on this. So if you've got the, the Disney Plus, uh, it's called Bluey. Uh, and for folks who aren't listening to this episode of the Dubcast, the the basic premise is this is a um, 
you know, anthropomorphic dogs. So all of the characters are, are dogs who, you know, live like human type lives. And it centers on a family of Australian cattle dogs. So you have dad's a blue healer named bandit. Mom's a red healer named Chili, And their children are, are bluey blue healer girl and bingo, uh, red healer girl. And the healer family, um, you know, does normal like family type things. And it's more or less seen from the kid's perspective, but, uh, it's number one, it's Australian. So it's kind of cheeky comedy and I, I enjoy the accents and they're little seven minute vignettes. Um, so generally when Disney shows them on the actual Disney channel, they'll string together three of them to make one half hour programming block. Uh, but you can just go through and watch individual seven minute, um, vignettes on Disney plus. So the secret sauce, Matt, to your question, I, I think is, is one, it's sort of that Australian or the you know, British comedy is this way. Uh, I was talking with one of my friends from the UK and, and, you know, it says the, the British sense of humor, that sort of like, if, if we, if we, if we don't make fun of something, you know, if we don't poke fun out of it, then, then we give it power. Um, and so, you know, the British kind of like almost rush to poke fun at things sometimes where it feels uncomfortably too soon. And we don't do that on this side of the pond. So I think that Australian sort of irreverent humor is a big part of it. But, but the other thing I think that really makes it work is that, you know, it's, it's that rare blend of comedy that the kids thinks hilarious i mean my daughter just belly laughs at this show and is is also funny enough on its own merits that adults like i laugh every time i watch this show the other piece of it is it is that it makes you feel feelings so there are episodes where as a dad i watch some interaction between you know the parents and the kids on the show and it makes me feel feelings so i think that's the secret sauce is that it's it, it, it appeals to both audiences um the writing is really smart i think that the people who write it you know, really do have kids and have been in these situations and kind of get what it's like. Uh, so I think, um, I, I think it's really good. I really enjoy it. So Kevin, here's your homework. Um, because this question was for Johnny. And so, so Johnny is going to be, um, going through this in the not so distant future, I suspect, but your homework now, Matt says, uh, cause Johnny had not watched Bluey the last time we had talked about it. And, and so Matt said, uh, if you haven't seen it, could you watch an episode and give a reaction? So maybe there's your homework, uh, Kevin is to go find Bluey on Disney plus and, yeah, I'm and, sold. I'm sold. and watch seven minutes. Okay. Next question. This one comes from Matt in Minneapolis who, who writes, okay, uncover your crystal ball. What happens when Texas finishes fifth, you know, uh, in the sec West, maybe even will the longhorn egos be able to handle finishing below a and M in the standings what do you say kevin can they can they handle it or will their collective heads explode you know i'm very curious to see how texas handles not being like the premier program in their conference like they basically run the big 12 right now even though they're not very good so like they're going to join the sec and they're both going to not be very good and they're not going to be the premier program. So I'm fascinated to see how that's going to work out. Um, personally, I don't think Texas is very, does very well with not being the best or the most important in anything. So I don't think it's going to work out well. I don't, I don't think they're going to love that. Um, so but I'm fascinated to see how that turns out. That's why I really struggled with this decision. I get it for Oklahoma because Oklahoma can hang. I don't think Oklahoma is going to unseat Alabama anytime soon as the eminence grease of the SEC. 
but Oklahoma, I think, can at least they, they at least belong in the conversation. They've proven that they can consistently get to the playoffs. They they haven't proven that they can consistently you know win in the playoffs, but they they at least belong in the conversation. Lincoln Riley clearly is a good coach, great recruiter, etc. But Texas, not so much. <laughs> and 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 I realize there's this idea that with Sark now prowling the sidelines, this is going to be a new Texas. But I mean, he's if not starting from scratch, close to it, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think Sark's a, a great offensive mind and stuff like that. And you, you can probably put him up there with like the Ryan days and the, uh, the um, Lincoln Riley's. And so like, I, I think that's what Texas is kind of shooting for there, but also that was what they were shooting for with Tom Herman. And we saw how well that worked out. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not a hundred percent sold. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna call Texas back until like Texas is back, you know. So, um, I'll, I'll I'm I'm in wait and see it mode with Texas and USC for that matter. Like I, I don't know. I I think those programs like they should be better than they are, but like the reality is that like they are what they are at this point. So maybe one day they can be back to their their prime or whatever. But I, I'll believe it when I see it. Matt asks a follow-up question. What are the odds that an antitrust lawsuit is going to be filed against both the SEC, in this case, meaning the Southeastern Conference, not the Securities and Exchange Commission, and ESPN uh, sometime between now and 2025? Now, Matt says he has it on good authority that it's a discussion that has already been had, and he also references the you know implications that uh, Disney, the parent company of ESPN, is is maybe trying to take shots across the bow at Fox so they can gobble up their their assets. So so is there is there an antitrust issue here? We Johnny and I talked on the program uh, a couple weeks back about Bob Bowlesby's cease and desist letter that ESPN is basically trying to put the Big Twelve out of business. Worth noting, of course, that the Big 12's primary media rights partner is Fox Sports. Um, is is there an antitrust issue here with the SEC and the ESPN and all the kind of shenanigans that have been going on lately? You know, the first time I saw that, and like I, I straight up laughed the first time I saw that, like the the cease and desist letter. But like the more I actually like read into it, and the more I actually like like think about it, like. It seemed really tinfoil hatty at first, but now like I can see it because like, I don't know if they have a case, but like, that's absolutely what ESPN's doing. Like whether or not it's illegal, like I, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a judge. I don't know that, but like, they're absolutely trying to put the big 12 out of business and um, shuffle all of these TV deals to, I mean, why wouldn't they implode a conference and, shuffle all the teams to another another conference where they own the tv rights to like that makes complete sense like i i I don't know i'm not smart enough to tell you whether or not that's like explicitly illegal but like yeah that's absolutely what they're doing that'll do it for ask us anything remember you can send us your questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or hit us up on twitter dubcast at 11warriors.com thanks matt in minneapolis and uh other matt we had two different mats this week so thank you for your questions we'll look forward to getting to more of those next time all right let's wrap up with some quick cows legendary florida state coach bobby bowden passed this week at the age of 91 now kevin you may be on the younger end of the bowden uh coaching dynasty when he was still at florida state a tremendous run of 76 to 2009 where he had 33 33 consecutive winning seasons 
winning a pair of national championships in 1993 and 1999. Where do you rank Bobby Bowden in your pantheon of, of legendary coaches? Is, has he been retired from the business long enough that he's no longer in, in your view, or, or do you rank him as one of the best to ever do it? He, I mean, he, he's, he's weird in that, like, I remember the late years of Bobby Bowden when he was like, his teams were not very good. And so like, I definitely don't remember him at his peak, but like, I, I can look at the numbers and look at how good he was. I, I think he's gotta be top five, you know, uh, he's, I mean, he's definitely up there with like the, um, Bear Bryant's and the Woody's and stuff like that. In my opinion, I, I think there's no really denying how successful he was. Yeah, sad, sad passing. The, the swagger that the Seminoles had during you know the prime years of his tenure, uh, pretty pretty hard to beat. I mean, that was a really uh, in, incredible program. A lot of swagger. Um, really had a lot of of national attention before, you know, before the days when people were all hepped up about the the SEC as being the end all be all of college football. Florida State, you know, those Florida schools in general, Florida State, Miami, there were some there were some pretty cool um teams that came through there and and uh yeah uh rest in peace coach bowden uh one of the old guard i i would say uh in other news ohio state third year offensive lineman ryan jacoby entered the transfer portal you know kevin you and i were talking earlier about sort of the fungibility of of football players in this modern era of more liberalized transfer rules but i think this one's a good example of you know hey there's no downside especially if you're uh, an Ohio State fan, somebody who wanted to go to Ohio State like Ryan Jacoby, uh, there's no downside to going there because you you go and you get in the program, you fight for your spot, you benefit from all of the resources at Ohio State, the the nutrition, the strength and conditioning training. I mean, aren't you almost by definition better off to have come to Ohio State and transferred somewhere else for more playing time than to never have come to Ohio State at all? Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. And, and I think you've seen that with a ton of guys that were never going to start at Ohio State or play, even play at Ohio State that um, transferred out and immediately played elsewhere. And so I, I think you could, there's like a, no less than a dozen examples of guys that have um, transferred out of Ohio State and had successful careers elsewhere. Um, and that's, I mean, that's also obviously highlighted by Joe Burrow, but like, you've got like the Trayvon Grimes, the Antonio Williams, the Kevin feeders, um, that just a ton of guys. So I, I think that, um, that you're absolutely right. There's really, especially if you're a guy that grew up an Ohio state fan, grew up wanting to go to Ohio state, there's really no downside to doing it. And finally, we'll touch on the Olympics. Johnny and I had been keeping a running banner going about the Olympic Games. Former Ohio State wrestler Kyle Snyder finished with the silver medal, so he will have medaled in back-to-back Olympics, of course, winning the gold in men's freestyle, the 97-kilogram weight class in Rio. Uh, was not able to avenge a, an earlier loss to Abdul Rashid Sajulayev, the Russian tank who defeated Snyder six to three in the men's freestyle final early Saturday morning, Kevin, number one, uh, did you spend much time watching the Olympics? And number two, if you did favorite, uh, favorite events or sports that are contested at the games of the Olympiad. Um, so I did not watch as much of it as I usually do. And I think it's the time zone that got me. I don't think the tape delay works so well in 2021 because i just find everything out on twitter and then i'm like oh well i don't need to watch that now so i I think that really harmed my viewing experience that said 
I spent quite a while watching the rhythmic gymnastics, like the, the group rhythmic gymnastics. And that is way more insane than I was prepared for it to be. Like the, the what they can do with like the hoops that they're throwing and like bouncing off each other and like the coordination, like that looked more like a Vegas show than it did like an Olympic sport. And I was fascinated. So that is my A plus. Uh, it would recommend next time it's in the Olympics, you, everybody needs to watch that. I, I have to admit, I did not watch rhythm, rhythmic gymnastics at all. We did watch quite a bit of the men's and women's gymnastic teams. And uh, so with that in mind, I will, I will pose this question to you because I think it relates back to college sports and college football. You know, we're in an era where college athletes are no longer afraid to forego playing in a bowl game or, uh, you know, making decisions sort of based on their own rational self-interest instead of, you know, saying, uh, I got to do what's best for the team, the team, the team. We saw Simone Biles, maybe the highest profile athlete in, in the world at the moment, walk away in essence from all but the last event of the Olympics uh, for uh, her mental health and well-being. D- did Miles open the door for athletes to stand up for themselves? I guess we want to think about it that way and, and say, hey, I, I need to do this thing for me regardless of what it means for the team. And, and, and what, what are your feelings on sort of her, her decision and just what it means for kind of the broader nature of team sports and athletics? Yeah, I think we're just seeing in general, um, like you said, it it's becoming more individualized, like individuals are allowed to make their own best decision for them. And I, you know, I, I think that like it we're there's gonna come a time when when we're not there, where maybe we're already there, where like um there's more than one right decision to make and um athletes are going to be able to kind of navigate their own way through that. Like, I mean, who's to say that in that same situation, she didn't decide to, you know, like, you know, this is, this is an obstacle I need to overcome and go and like compete again. And like, that would have also been her decision and stuff like that. I I just think like um, it's becoming more and more that athletes are making their own decisions. Like you were alluding to and not, worrying about what they're supposed to do or what they're, um, you know, what is modeled for them or what the expectation is or what the precedent is like, uh, they're deciding what they need to do. And if that's to suck it up and compete, then that's what it is. And if it's to step back and, you know, um, take care of their health or, uh, take care of their mental health, like that's, that's good too. And I, I think that we're just seeing guys, we're seeing athletes really just own that. And I I think Simone Biles definitely had a play in that, but I think like everybody was talking about how it was a, it was an, like she was an advocate for mental health and like taking care of your mental health first. And I, that's totally true. But like, I think more than that, she's showing that like athletes actually have the authority to make their own decisions. Like they, they're not just mindless robots that can, that have to do whatever they want or whatever the, uh, the, the machine tells them that they have to do, like they, they're free to make their own decisions. And I think she kind of walked that through and, um, is kind of giving the power back to the athletes, I guess. Yeah. And I feel like this is one of those things that fans struggle with. Certainly you saw quite a lot of 
online discussion and not that social media, you know, ever creates super healthy conversations. Yeah. Topics like this, but are, are fans going to get with the program on this? Or do you, do you think that people are more or less understanding of these kind of decisions now than they were when we first started seeing say football players opting out of bowl games? Well, I think everybody's way more, not everybody, but generally people are way more accepting these days. I, I think that like almost the mainstream idea is that it's fine. I think the people who are questioning it are honestly in the exception these days. So um, I I think that it's, it's the conversation is definitely shifting. And I think it's to the point where like, nobody was really even surprised that some, I mean, it was definitely a surprise that Simone Biles did that, but like, it was it didn't feel groundbreaking to me, you know, because there've just been enough athletes that have have done something similar to that, or at least spoken um, on on issues similar to that. That like it, it was surprising, but it wasn't shocking if the, if that makes sense. I very much very much agree. I was surprised, but 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 not shocked, and uh, agree with you. Kind of that's the sign of of athletes in general having a bit more agency, maybe than what they have had in uh, in the past, and and just uh, changing the way we think about things like mental health, which I think is ultimately a a good thing. And and kudos to Biles for having the the, the guts to stand up for herself. I think that's you know I I compared that to I remember with great clarity, the, the, uh, Carrie Strug winning the gold medal on the, the, the vault. And, you know, that was a tremendous injury that she suffered and to go out, you know, she didn't really have an option. Like Bella Caroli basically told her to get her ass out there and vault again. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think he cared whether, whether she ever walked again or not, as long as she went and won that gold medal. Right. You know, how far we've come just in, you know, in your lifetime in in essence, uh, in that conversation, you know, because because Miles could have easily had a career ending injury um, based on you know, what they were calling the twisties and all that sort of thing. All right. We're going to cap it there. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Dubcast. Uh, a lot going on as the preseason camp continues with the Buckeyes to so continue to follow the beat team is all over it at 11warriors.com. Kevin and I will be back next week to break it all down for you. So until then, I'm Andy. And I am Kevin. And we'll see you then on the 11 Dubcast.